Welcome to Better Angels, the podcast for women creating change. I'm Susan Ferry Price, and each week I have a conversation with a woman who is helping make our world a little bit better. Thanks for joining us. So my love of coffee, tea, blueberries, turmeric, so many of the foods and drinks I have pretty much every day have been really hard on my teeth. But my teeth are also super sensitive, so whitening products have been an absolute no-go. So I was thrilled, though still pretty skeptical, when I heard that Bite launched a whitening system that was gentle enough for sensitive teeth. But for me, it actually worked with no more irritation. And like all of Bite's products, including their brilliant toothpaste tubes that come in glass jars instead of those plastic tubes that wind up in landfills, the whitening gel is, uses clean ingredients, no harsh chemicals, and is plastic-free, so it's good for me and good for the earth. Learn more at trybite.com. I'm sure there have been many times in my life that I've seen someone and thought, she looks great for her age. Or you turn 40 or you turn 50 and you think, but I don't feel that old. Those might seem like harmless thoughts, but they reflect a culture that is youth-obsessed, a culture where products are actually sold because they claim to be anti-aging. Most concerning is that it's a culture where discrimination against older people is very real. It is real in our job market, in our healthcare system. Ashton Applewhite, today's guest, is a leader in the growing movement to raise awareness of ageism and to dismantle it. Ashton is the author of This Chair Rocks, a manifesto against ageism. She's co-founder of the Old School Anti-Ageism Clearinghouse. She blogs at This Chair Rocks and is the voice of, yo, is this ageist? Here's our conversation. I want to start with a disclaimer on our entire conversation is that we're going to be talking about older people, but older people, like any group, are not all the same. The longer we live, the more different from one another we become. And every newborn is unique, but 17-year-olds are way more alike physically, cognitively, socially, developmentally, just logically, right, extrapolate outwards than 37-year-olds who are way more like one another than 67-year-olds who've had another 30 years of utterly unique experiences to shape who they are. So the older a person is, the less their age tells you about them. And that makes perfect sense, but we don't really think about that. We think about it exactly the opposite way. Oh, crap. I'm going to, like, one day I'm going to wake up old and be boring and stupid and incapacitated and everything's going to (laughs) suck. The other thing we think, which your book happily shatters, is that we're also going to wake up bitter and cranky and filled with regrets. And it turns out that the older we get, we're actually happier. Or again, many of us become happier. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that is the U-curve of happiness. Google it. My mother-in-law would always, she said, I don't believe it. And I would say, great, look up the best substantiated data point in my whole book. I was super skeptical when I encountered it. I I thought, well, that must be true if you're healthy, or it must be true if you're happily married. It obtains across class, across marital status, across geography. We are the least content in midlife, and happier at the beginnings and ends of our life trajectories. And is part of that, I would guess, is perspective. You know, you don't sweat the small stuff anymore. Exactly. You're better at putting things in perspective. Really interesting study by the Stanford Longevity Center that came out fairly fairly early in the pandemic because they had, had fortuitously started 
observing people that uh, earlier on that show that older people, although they were more isolated by the pandemic and at far greater physical risk, actually showed more resilience in coping with it than younger people. And I think, you know, various reasons, but the big one is just what you said. Don't sweat the small stuff and perspective. We've lived through awful things. We've had our hearts broken. We know how awful that is, but we also know that eventually we felt better and that that, and, and also, um, you know, a sort of a positivity bias is the nerdy term that we, our brains get better at finding, um, finding the positive, which is not to ignore the negative, you know, but, but you know, the, the, the negative stuff is real, but we get better at putting it in perspective and appreciating the current moment. And that's why kids are happy. So except for the ones that aren't, because kids are diverse, too, uh, because they live in the moment. They don't know how to do anything else. And older people do it also because they are aware. I say they, not we, because we're really talking about 70s and 80s, although I'll be 80s and 90s. Maybe I'll be I'll be 70 in a month. So um, but, you know, it is an awareness that time is short that actually helps us live in the moment. And that is where, as we know from Buddhism, not that I'm a Buddhist, that is where contentment resides as being looking around at what we've got and being satisfied with the present moment. There's something in there that's curious to me because I feel two separate things about like staying mentally healthy when you're older. And one is, is that when you keep doing new things or trying new things, it's good for your brain. But it's sort of when you live in the present moment that sometimes there's a narrowing. Yeah. I mean, it's complicated. There's always two sides right. to things. You don't want to say, oh, you know, give an old lady an ice cream cone and everything's nifty if she's in terrible pain or someone she loves just died. But I know you're not saying that. As we grow older, um, for sure, cognitive decline is not inevitable. Physical decline of some sort is. We decline in different ways at different rates. So it's not like everything falls apart. But often our lives do become more constrained by physical mobility issues, by financial issues, by um, you know a, a number of things, social circle um, growing smaller, although it doesn't have to. Uh, so all those things may reduce the scale of life among older people. And, you know, we, we're, we're not perhaps able to go fly to, you know, Kilimanjaro and hike it up and see what, what it looks like from the top of there. But we become more able, hopefully, to savor, you know, snip, stop and smell the roses along the way, which can be an even a, a, an enormous source of pleasure in far greater as we know at any age, then constantly seeking the new to fill a hole that cannot be filled. So yeah. let's get a few of the bigger fears out of the way. Good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always say, well, we're going to talk about them. Doesn't that help? It surely does. It absolutely does. And in the beginning, I wondered, like, is that universal? Is Because I'm a very direct bull by the horns kind of person. So I think the, I mean, which is why I started on this path because I realized I was scared of getting older in my mid fifties. And so I started looking at it, you know, researching longevity. But the metaphor that comes to my mind is when I was a little girl jumping onto my bed from as far away as I could so that the monster under the bed didn't grab my ankles. And eventually you screw up your courage and you look and Again, it's complicated. There are monsters. You know, some part of your body is going to fall apart. You are going to lose people you've known all your life. Those are real 
losses and, you know, the financial insecurity, ending up alone, especially in a society. I mean, it's the society in which we age that makes growing older so much harder than it has to be. But they are real legitimate fears. So I never want to people to think like I'm poo-pooing them at all. But by looking at them and talking about them, honestly, we reduce those fears. So thank you for doing that. All right. Well, we're going to try. So getting older alone. For me, that's a big fear because I don't have children. And I always think, who's going to take care of me? And that goes back to this lack of societal support. No kidding. And, and our over-reliance on biology and our insistence that, you know, women have have become mothers or somehow your life is um, unfulfilled. I mean, I'm a mother, but motherhood is overrated and we should not rely on biology, let alone biology alone, to shape our our, our families in the broadest sense. So how likely is it? For me, I get the, the images of, you know, I'll be on the street by myself. There's the bag lady syndrome. There is actually a name for it. And partly it is because you are a woman in a society that is deeply ageist and misogynist that has denied you access to good work for equal pay your entire life. And if you had kids, you'd be further penalized for time out of the workforce, but you spent a bunch of time out of the workforce caring for your mom, I believe. That work is not, not only not rewarded, it subtracts from your pay base when you get social security, which is calculated for married couples. You know, I mean, it's so out of date and so profoundly sexist and ageist. Uh, so your, you know, your fears are real there. And as I said, we do lose people we've known all our lives. There are the most important thing you can do to remedy this is to think about it before you know, while you are, you know, able to make choices of all kinds and plan. And the most important component of a good old age is not how healthy you are, which is what I would have guessed originally. And then I thought, well, it must be wealth. Mm -mm. It's having a strong social network. So the most important thing you can do is to plan now and move sooner rather than later, not wait till, you know, you break your foot or you run out of money, you know, whatever, to live in community with other people, whether that's in, you know, your, your best friend's house, or you, perhaps you have godchildren or, a, 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 you know, an apartment building that has, you know, that is accessible where people of all ages live, or perhaps you want to move to a retirement community with people your own age. Any choice is legit, but don't wait until your choices have been constrained and you are operating um, under stress and making really important decisions um, in a big hurry. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And, and community is kind of key. It is the key. And not just in old age, in life, you know, every read anything, anywhere. They're all relationships are what give life meaning. And how much of how we think about aging affects our actual aging? It's a great question. Um, if, if I, I think the, the strongest argument for educating yourself about age and aging, looking for the monster uh, under the bed, is that there is a growing body of really fascinating evidence that shows that attitudes towards aging affect how our minds and bodies function at the cellular level. This is why the World Health Organization, not the World Aging Organization, not the World Old People Organization, the World Health Organization a year ago launched its global campaign to combat ageism. That's the name of it. 
because they realize that the biggest obstacle to good health all the way along, especially in late life, we're living longer. How do we increase health span along with lifespan? Combat ageism, starting between our ears and then also addressing how it's manifest in the world around us. They say, they say, think about how you look, think, and act around age and aging. And the, um, my favorite data point about in this is that uh, people, I don't like to say more positive attitudes towards aging, but that's because it sounds like happy talk and not looking at the scary stuff, but that's usually the way it's cast. Uh, but I say people with fact rather than fear-based attitudes towards aging, uh, live longer, walk faster, heal quicker, even from severe incapacity, and are less likely to develop Alzheimer's even if they have the gene that predisposes them to the disease. And I do talk about all this in my book, but I'm going to take a second to shill for a fantastic new book that has just come out by Becca Levy, who is the psychologist and epidemiologist at Yale, who has done all, almost all the path-breaking research in this field. It is called Breaking the Age Code, How Your Beliefs About Aging Determine How Long and How Well You Live. The well part being, this is me speaking, not Becca, you know, it's not healthy to go through life dreading your futures your future. And when you educate yourself and realize, again, not that the fears aren't real, but that they're way out of proportion to the likelihood, that is so liberating. You know, it makes you live better because you, you know, you stop thinking every time, you know, you're, you have an ache and pain. Oh my God, you know, I'm gonna, that's, you know, I'm getting Alzheimer's because I can't remember where I put the car keys. Kids lose car keys too all the time. Those negative beliefs, which are drummed into all of us from childhood on, become self-fulfilling stereotypes as we reach the age at which they might become true, right? So breaking the age code, it's all about it. My book talks about ageism in all the contexts and has a chapter, you know, that addresses the health piece of it, of course. But um, this is just out and it is a fantastic book that will educate you and just make you feel better. My book will make you feel better too, because our fears are so out of proportion and our fears make us more vulnerable to exactly what we fear. Which is always true in life, but more so in these, in these cases. And one of the things, and it goes to another point that you, you bring up often, which is about our language and those things. And one of those things is the senior moment. People in their 40s say, oh, I'm having a senior moment because, as you say, they forget their car keys or they can't. I have never been able to find my car in a parking lot in my entire life. <laughs> exactly. I, my memory has always been terrible. I, and and I, wish, I wish it were better. But do I remember the name of that movie or the art? Do you know who the artist was at a wonderful painting or something? No, I don't. I'm, I don't even have a good memory for faces. But I, I don't I'm pretty sure that didn't just happen. Right. I, I'm the same way. And, and it, but those traps that we fall into, um, we blame things on age and age is almost always entirely irrelevant and sometimes a tiny bit relevant, but way less relevant than we think. So give me another couple of those examples that you, well, think about how people use the words old and young. I feel, I don't feel old, Right. What you mean when you don't don't feel old, it, again, it depends on your circumstance, but typically it means I don't feel ugly or unattractive. I don't feel incompetent. I don't feel, um, you know, up to date or au courant, you know, 
And the fact is that we can feel ugly or out of it or incompetent at any stage of life. I mean, I can't finish that sentence without thinking of being 13, you know, where I just, and much of my youth, you know, I was way less secure, less confident, less self-knowledgeable. So feeling those things, or I feel so young, I feel with it. I feel energetic. I feel sexy. We can feel those ways any time in our lifespan. So use, try to break the habit of associating young, that adjective with insert positive attribute and old with insert sucky thing and use the actual feeling that you are talking about because that way we disrupt the association of young is good, old is bad, which is a pretty um, good litmus test of ageism. Although I just want to make the point that ageism is any judgment on the basis of age. It also affects younger people who are disrespected and dismissed. So it's no one is ever free of it. And it's not entirely directed at old people, but we live in such a youth centric society that we olders do bear the brunt of it. I want to get back to that, but I also just want to say that that endless compliment that we hear I don't, or, or I hear women, you know, in my age and in, in my fifties saying, you know, I don't look my age. I don't look my age. I look good for my age. And it's, 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 first of all, I've always found it sort of insulting to other women who maybe didn't have those genes or your good That's luck. a great point. And also like, what does that no. even mean? I mean, we can't to be annoyingly literal about it. What age could you look besides your own? This is how age, whatever it is, looks on me. Gloria Steinem famously said, you know, this is what 40 looks like. Uh, she looked, you know, she had good genes. She had money. Those things matter. And you make up, a, you make a really good point that we can only accept the compliment in air quotes that we look good for our age at the expense of all the other people our age who don't happen to look as good, which is in terms of sisterhood, um, pretty toxic. And it's a perfect example, thanks for bringing it up, of age being irrelevant. You look good. You look really good. Let's leave it at that. Because right. if I look good, it's because my children are healthy. It's because I just got back from vacation. It's, you know, who knows what it is, but it's not because of how old I am. Right. It's all of those insidious things that are that we don't even think about. I want to go back, though, to, you know, you, we were talking about ageism and an ism in my mind means there's some kind of discrimination going on. So when you, you're, and I understand what you're saying about, you know, judging younger people as maybe incompetent or whatever, but is there the, I feel like the discriminatory parts of ageism are very important and I'm not sure they're directed at younger people in the same way. That's well put. And I'm thinking primarily and, Give me some framework here about healthcare, where I've seen doctors dismiss older women in particular because they're largely in the healthcare system more than older men, and also in the job yeah, market. I, well, I would say older people do bear the brunt of ageism for sure uh, across the board. Healthcare is a perfect example where youth is just straight up an advantage. Doctors spend more time with younger patients, uh, take their concerns more seriously, even though they have fewer concerns and tend to be less ill. Not, And by the way, that's often because we don't take care of ourselves when we're younger. You know, it's it's the, the symptoms add up and we become more symptomatic with age, but there are relatively few 
actual diseases of old age, but never mind, older people are excluded from clinical trials. Um, There's no money goes into adverse drug interactions. And the older you are, the more likely you are to take one or more medications. So hundreds of thousands of Americans die from adverse drug interactions. No one studies it. Why? Because the pharmaceutical companies don't want you to take fewer drugs. There's no money in it. So that brings us back to capitalism, a little mini tirade there. Uh, young in the workforce is a little different in that I would say younger people do experience ageism very acutely at the very beginning. When you know the old paradox, I'm sure you were when you were job hunting, when you were for a high school job or straight out of college, you can't get a job till you have a job. How do you get the experience? And and being uh, perhaps dismissed as a younger member of the team, what could you possibly know? I've been doing this for a long time. And this idea also, which is ageist, that older people are wise and pass wisdom on to younger people. And of course, those are those are two-way interactions. We learn from people of all ages. So younger people do experience ageism, especially at work, I would say. But then they move into a sort of, let's call it a sweet spot, which is what? Late. I mean, women are never the right age in the workforce. If you are young, you are too cute to be taken seriously. Then you're too fertile to be taken seriously. And then you're not cute or fertile anymore. Boom. For the rest, you know, three quarters of your life. This entire conversation, actually, that is what's been going through my head is so much that we think about aging and ageism seems so related to gender. Usually. It's related to class. It's related to gender. It, you know, it's, it's related to, of course, race and ethnicity in that, you know, the further you diverge from what the wonderful uh, poet and activist Audre Lorde called the mythical norm, this idea of the norm as being thin, white, male, cisgender, heterosexual, and so on. The more steps away you are from that mythical norm, the harder it is for you to get heard, to get paid, to get respected, whether it's by a doctor or by a stranger in the street or, you know, in a work situation. Let's talk about what, besides cleaning up our own heads, which I think is always the first step, and I'm becoming now very aware of this Um, since I've read your book, everywhere around me, I just want to, you know, I'm going to be obnoxious to people now. (laughs) Don't say that. Don't say that. It's hard not to be obnoxious. I am such a bull in a China shop, but I'll offer you one uh, all-purpose remark when someone says something ageist is just say, what do you mean by that? And let that sit there. Like even why is a little a little sharp, a little finger pointy and a little aggressive. And you don't want to put people on the defensive because then they're not listening. They're just like, ah, I feel uncomfortable or you're a jerk and nobody learns. So, but if you say, what do you mean by that? They have to reflect on what they did. Um, You know, uh, hello, young lady. What do you mean by that? Instead of like, don't call me young lady, which is, you know, I want to bite people who call me young lady, because the only reason you would call me a young lady is to draw attention to the fact that I'm not young and to imply that I wish I were young. And I find that offensive, especially because of what I do for a living. Uh, but so it, you are embarked already. I mean, it's, it's like letting a genie out of the bottle on the hardest and most important part of this old whole task, which is to look at our own attitudes towards age and aging. Because 
As the saying goes, all change starts from within. These are new ideas to most of us, and we can't challenge bias unless we're aware of it. But I'm curious I, whether you would agree with my strong feeling that once you see it in yourself, which is icky, and you go, I'm, I didn't realize how much unlearning I have to do, I'm part of the problem, I'm biased, then the very next thing that happens, which is automatic, is just what you said. You start to see it in the world around you. And that is really liberating. Yes, absolutely. I completely agree with that. I have a positive image of aging in general, other than my fear of who's going to take care of me, because I've spent a lot of time with older people and including my mother, who was a, you know, had a lot of, a lot of challenges in her life and her sisters as well. And they lived in a happy state of mind. And that's, that's in the trenches. I mean, you spent a lot of time with older people with many challenges at the ends of their lives. It doesn't get harder than that. You know, that is really off. And if you can come out of that experience saying that that enriched your view of late life instead of impoverishing it, that's, you know, that's a hell of a testimonial in favor of a balanced look at what old age. Yeah, no, it was actually really helpful to me. Um, And I've also always been just sort of assumed in my life, I'd be a late bloomer. I've always had that thought of myself. So like I I move here in my fifties, you know, alone, like who does that? People are like, you can't do that at your age. And I'm like, why the heck not? I might live to be 90. What what do you, what do you mean by that? Right. What do you mean by that? Should have been your response. (laughs) Yeah. You know, that's like, what's, what's at, what is at your age? It doesn't, you know, maybe it's a terrible idea because it's a, you know, not a nice place or you'll run out of money or you'll hate the weather, but you're, those, those are separate things from how old you are. Um, And then you also do as, and we'll go back to railing on capitalism a little bit, but it's also almost a marketing thing. These, these categories and these ideas that, you know, and we all know older women, and I'm talking about women over 40, particularly women over 50 have more money, um, more disposable income and marketers pay no attention to us. So it's, there's so many inbred inconsistencies. Irrationalities. Yeah. I mean, nothing, nothing is rational about prejudice. You could make the case, which I don't like to do because it implies that ageism is somehow different or bigger or higher order. And it is a fool's game to compare forms of discrimination because we need to undo them all. They all intersect and compound and are tangled up with each other. But ageism is particularly uh, irrational if you think of the fact that we are discriminating against our own future selves. No, no discrimination makes sense. Ageism really makes no sense. But it's not about it's not about rationality. It's about feelings. It's about stereotypes. It's about ignorance and fear. Right. And, and as you say, we don't look at that monster enough. So that's why we're discriminating against our future, because we're not even looking at our future. We're so afraid. People are so afraid of death, which is the other thing here. Aging step toward death is, you know, such a. Yeah, I mean, I. I take issue with that to some degree. I think we conflate the two because we live in an ageist culture. Always an element of truth. We olders are reminders of mortality. We are closer to death. There's more road behind us than ahead. And that's just true. But dying is a discrete biological event that happens at the end of all this living. Aging is living. We are aging from the minute we're born. And, you know, people may look at me and think I'm ancient, but they don't think I'm dying. 
So I think we need to push back against the, there's a whole like, oh, ageism is natural or we're stuck with it because no one wants to think about dying. No one wants to think about waking up a day older, which is why I have a thing in my book, a phrase I borrowed from a geriatrician named Joanne Lynn, who calls herself an old person in training, which is simply, it's just a trick of the mind. Acknowledge that someday, if you're lucky, you will get old. And that older you can be as far off as you need her to be because it's hard to imagine getting old. And I don't think that's ageist. I think that's human. We age slowly. You know, we, we, we can't imagine it when we're children and so on. But and so you don't have to imagine her as imminent. You don't have to see her clearly. But if you can acknowledge that you will become that older person at some point, you then don't get sucked into this denial. This It's never going to happen to me, which is so unhealthy because no matter how much kale you eat and how many bench presses you do sooner or later, you know, your, your neck is going to get wrinkly and your arms are not going to look like Michelle Obama's anymore, you know, and you can do things if you're lucky and if you're wealthy and if you have the time and if you're really determined and if that's how you want to spend your time, no judgment to slow some of these things down, but not all of them. And sooner or later they fail. And the more, more we've invested in the idea that this isn't going to happen to us, the harder we fall. And I like the idea of kind of imagining like future Susan. But you know, when you make that mental leap, and again, it's really just just a flick of a switch, uh, then you start looking at older people instead of past us, right? Because they become sort of potential role models. And, and you think, uh, you know, when an older person does something that you think is great, you think, hmm, maybe I could do that. When an older person behaves in an obnoxious way, you can also think, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to avoid that, you know, or p- perhaps plan ahead. I mean, human homo sapiens is terrible at planning ahead, but hopefully, you know, if you can see, oh, that person, you know, fig- figured that thing out early on in life or, you know, had a health behavior that, that really stood them in good stead or saved a little money, imagine that. Then those, then we also can learn from the older people around us instead of pretending they're not there, they're icky, and we don't want to think about becoming them. It seems as we all get older and this I think is something for us to look forward to is as we're kind of throwing off all the societal roles that we've had our whole life, the good student, the good daughter, the good employee, the good wife, the good mother, and so on, that we become versions of our ourselves, our, our truer characteristics, who we really are. Yeah. Sort of distilled, like, like, like reducing a sauce. <laughs> I think that's true. I've heard it. Um, I think it's becoming true of me. You know, my, both my better attributes and my worser ones are becoming more salient. I wouldn't say you you let go of them. I think they're all still in us. I The epigraph of my book is a quote from Anne Lamott and other poets and writers have expressed the same idea in different words, that we contain all the ages we have ever been. So, so many women um, you know, have this notion, especially, you know, white middle-class women, we have to be good girls. I mean, that's what patriarchy wants us to be. And that those voices are still inside us, but we do, I think, become more liberated, especially as women and feel like, and I'm, and I know I've heard, you know, read many, many people say the same thing of their experience. And I think it's what you're describing. It's certainly what I feel that I am more free to express myself and less worried about what people will think of me. 
embracing the freedom in getting older is a lot more pleasant than thinking about becoming a bag lady. Learn more about Ashton and her work at thischairrocks.com. I'll have the links to her books and her social in the show notes. And if you're enjoying this podcast, leaving a rating or review on Apple really helps us grow. And find out more at betterangels.substack.com. I'll see you next week.